Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the Everyday Martial Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts and other stuff they're involved in. My guest today started his professional life as a martial arts instructor. After about 10 years, he went to college, got his master's degree in counseling psychology, and started his second career as a mental health and addictions counselor. He's now starting his third career as an author, life coach, and seminar presenter of what he is calling Martial Arts for the Mind. He's a creator of the 10-Step Reframe and the founder of the Seven Disciplines Training Academy. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Tom Jordan. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm in Minnesota and it's, there's almost no snow on the ground. So I'm kind of happy. <laughs> it's December. So that's rare for us. Nice. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a very sunny day today right here. Nice. And where, where are you located right now? I'm in Ashland, Massachusetts. Okay, cool. Well, I know I kind of talked a little bit about, uh, you know, when I contacted you on LinkedIn and stuff, but I, I kind of give the listeners a background on, on how I tracked you down. And my original plan was, you know, I had, I had interviewed a guest a few weeks ago, Mr. Eric Betts, and he talked about his first instructor and the impact he had. And I was actually going to go back and pull that audio and play it for you so you could hear it. But I thought it would be cooler if you heard it directly from him. So I'm going to have Eric jump on and join us. How you doing, Eric? Hey, what's going on, Brian? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'd go ahead and say hi to Tom and just talk a little about that and, and, and how, how I came to find Tom. Tom, uh, as crazy as this, first of all, hi, Tom. It's crazy <laughs> to be talking to you. It's, it's just, this whole thing is mind-blowing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually called my mother, who uh, found you in 1978-79, uh, I said, Mom, do you remember uh, the, the classes, my first martial art class that you ever got me? Uh, she goes, yeah, you're talking about under the Pembroke Theater? And I go, yes. And, uh, she goes, <laughs> I think that was uh, Sensei Tom Jordan. She remembered you. And, I, and so I said, yeah. I go, okay, okay, okay. I go, I think I'm talking to him today. And she goes, no, <laughs> no. So I'm so excited to be able to uh, to share with you uh, the impact that you had in my life. I mean, especially Marshfield, Pembroke, the time and, and how long that impact carried on with me till today. I mean, literally till today. I believe it was 1978. I, we, we weren't able to put our, our hands on it for sure. I moved to Marshfield, the blizzard of 78. And I believe yeah. 70, 79, we knocked on your door. Uh, we had just finished going to a movie for a dollar twenty-five at the Pembroke Theater. <laughs> you yeah. guys have an idea how old this place is, man. And uh, I don't even remember what we saw, but we went downstairs and I saw and I I watched through the glass uh, a class that you were teaching, and I was like, Kenpo, what's Kenpo? And and and, mm. and you know, we're talking before Jeff Speakman, the perfect weapon. You know, we're talking <laughs> like Tom Tom Jordan was the real deal, man. And so. 
I'm watching him and I'm listening to what he's saying to the students. And I, I told my mom, I'm like, I, I want to be, I want to take a class. I want to be in here. And you invited us in and you, you, I, re I remember, you know, I'm, I'm in sixth grade at the time. So to give you an idea of how much mm. impact we're talking about, I'm now 56, soon to be seven. So, right. I, I mean, I, I'm standing there in awe. I think at that time you were explaining to me about uh, why I was there. You were asking me questions about why I was there. You were asking uh, what previous experience I had had before, which was zero. And uh, what was my reasoning for wanting to be there? What did I want the martial arts for? And so at the time in the high school, I was for the most part being bullied and so on and so forth. I had just arrived in that area and... But my fascination for martial arts went beyond just, I want to protect myself. It was, you know, I, I grew up like many other people inspired by Bruce Lee. And I just thought watching your class, you were so beyond inspiring that I, I was like, this is where I want to be. And we took, I only got to stay with you for a month because mom could only afford classes for a month. But that was the most profound month. And I practiced you know, there's an old saying, I don't fear the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks, but the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. And in Marshfield, mm. uh, after one month of class with you, I practiced uh, a kata that I know to today of taking my left hand and capturing a, a right fist around the wrist and doing a rising chicken under the elbow and a back fist to the, <laughs> to the right cheek. I mean, I still yeah. remember that. Specific. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's crazy. Those are the, the punch combinations. I the remember it to this day. That's yeah. so cool. Fabulous. That's interesting when you say about what's Kempo. I remember I was um, an adolescent myself, a juvenile, a delinquent, actually. My friend Steve and I were parked out in front of the, uh, the school that came to Burlington. This is when karate just came to town. Kung Fu was on TV. Bruce Lee was out. It was just new in America. So the school opens up, and I, we look up at it, and there's a dragon on one side of the sign right and um a tiger on the other and in the middle it says kempo karate jujitsu kung fu now we're out there smoking a joint looking at the sign <laughs> yeah looking at the sign just freaked out by the sign and this is what i said well i don't know what kempo is but karate is when you chop someone in the back of the neck <laughs> and that's it kempo karate jujitsu is when you touch someone uh, in a pressure point and they collapse and kung fu is when you rip their heart out <laughs> and that's that's what i figured was the deal you know so wow. uh, very yep. interesting that is so cool no no i i gotta tell you this this is a mind blow for me because i'm 70 years old now and we're talking about a past life for me literally like that was another era, a different person. I don't think about it much. And when, when I heard someone say, did you have a karate school <laughs> under the movie theater in Denver? It just, it just freaks me out, you know? So yep. very, yep. very good to hear all that. Wow. Well, there's there's more to this. I wanted you to to see how far your your inspiration, how far you know, you you never know. Uh, I've been a teacher now for gymnastics and martial arts for 42 years. I started wow, in 1981 yeah. at the Anchorage School of Gymnastics, and I never stopped somehow. And I ended up learning more. You mentioned about Buddhism. Uh, my mom is a practice uh, practitioner of Buddhism, and of course, lots of martial arts is Taoism as well as Buddhism. 
Right. And I continued. I continued. I continued. I went to Copley Library after I couldn't afford classes over there anymore and proceeded to rent out books and 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 couldn't keep the book long enough because it was um, you know i was learning from figure a b c d e f and g and trying to connect the dots so i started scanning pictures together and and, and creating a kind of a a scroll if you will of of, of martial arts styles and uh and kind of a jeet kundoed them together to kind of create the style i ultimately do today which i call hollywood kung fu uh, you know, from from if you remember the Pagoda Theater in in Boston in the Combat Zone, I used to go there and just study there like crazy and for pay my two or three dollars to watch three movies and and uh, and try to remember and race home and practice what I saw. Right. The idea is that I ended up uh, I ended up as a Power Ranger. So your your martial art instruction, I became the Red and the Green Ranger for the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers when the show first came out in 1993. Uh, oh. If you ever see the the 177 foot tall uh, Power Ranger, it's it's me in costume. I have the producers complaining till when I was working that I was too buffed. So the irony of them making him buffed out and larger than the actor and the original Japanese actor was hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you talk about I've worked with Steven Seagal, Jet Li, Jackie Chan. I've I had a TV series called WMAC Masters. It was a martial yes. art live action video game type TV show. Again, martial arts. Bruce Lee's daughter Shannon Lee was the was the host of our show. I mean, it, I regularly practiced that one tiny little clip I could remember from your studio at auditions. You were responsible for booking me auditions. I mean, I've done this. <laughs> I've added this piece to this day. This tiny segment played such a major role, and and what played the biggest role for me. I, I know you say it was a lifetime ago and, and everything, but I'm telling you, your personality and who you were greatly shaped that young boy into the man I've become today. So I cannot even say thank you enough. My mom thinks it's the craziest thing that I'm even talking to you today. <laughs> the idea that you're still doing martial arts and still changing and inspiring other lives, that you have a book coming out uh, that I look forward to, to getting myself and being able to go to my son and my grandkids, you know. This is my first martial art instructor. This was the man who laid the foundation. And as we know, that foundation's everything. And so, you know, you could have ended up being uh, Eric, sweep the leg, take out the knee. You know, you could have gone <laughs> that direction. But it's, but instead, you you really, you taught me that, you know, uh, to quote Bruce, martial arts is not just about kicks and punches or forms and weapons, but a way of life. And it right. changed how I saw myself and the people around me. I had an opportunity because of the class that you taught. I learned inside crescent and outside crescent kick. And an outside crescent kick was one of my strongest kicks ever. And somebody bent down, a guy at my high school, a guy named Gary Trungone. I remember that to this day. Big guy, huge guy, especially compared to my tiny little body. I was probably 125, if, if that wet. And right. I remember the guy bending down at a 90 degree angle and going, what are you going to do, punch me? Because they saw me practicing martial arts or something. And like Billy Jack, all I could think was, I'm going to take this right foot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I had to think, and, and this is truly what I thought. You know your instructor, Tom, would not be happy if you took this choice. This was a path he explained. It's not about being, it's not about beating people up. It's, a, it's about you learning how to gain control over yourself. And I closed my eyes and I chose to do nothing. 
not out of fear for the first time in my life, but by making a, a proactive choice of what will happen after this, after this moment of satisfaction, what's going to happen. That was the first time in my life I can remember martial arts truly shaping my decisions and, and empowering me with a word I didn't know at the time of being proactive and, and understanding cause and effect. And that is definitely nothing but Tom Jordan. So what an amazing time, what an amazing gift to be able to live long enough to to inspire that many people, but even more so for myself, to be able to say thank you to my first sensei, my first, uh, you know, the man who laid the foundation, the father of martial arts in my world and life. So I, I truly appreciate you. And I wanted to say thank you. Wow, you're blowing my mind. Because you just... <laughs> You never know how you influence people. And that's true for all of us. So it makes me want to be even more careful and considerate, right? And focus on how I communicate to people, what I say and what I don't say. Because you just never know how you're going to affect someone. Who knew that I would ever be having this conversation uh, all these years later? It's mind-blowing. So I I remember this. I don't know if, if I was teaching it back then. Um but uh, the Kempo motto was, as I recall it now, I almost forgot it. I think this is it. I will practice restraint when provoked and apply the law of the fist only as a last resort. Nice. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So let me tell you right now, I did not remember any of that. You just gave me chills. As I hear you saying these words, they're coming back to me. And right. to, uh, wow, you're blowing my mind right now. If you get a chance, take a look on YouTube. <laughs> For WMAC Masters, the martial arts gets real, and and they talk about uh, the, the the code of the the Dragon Star, and again, same similar philosophy. And I was injured on a movie once upon a time uh, <laughs> uh, called Today You Die, which of course I should have known the second I <laughs> got the job. And uh, it was working with Steven Seagal, who proceeded to abuse his his position and right. Again, you came to mind in that moment. And I remember thinking, so I remember in the moment uh, I walk up and I, I show up on set. I'm in my regular clothes. I, uh, I see the stunt coordinator and producer and director and I put my bag down and they say, Mr. Seagal, this is Eric Betts. You said you were looking for somebody with fast hands, good reactions. Uh, this is the man for the job. I, I knew Steven's reputation with stunt people so i tried to do whatever i could to appease him in that moment and i'm bowing and, I, and I'm, I'm saying it's a pleasure to meet you sir and he doesn't say anything he's got his eyes squinted and his hands resting folded and resting on his belly because it's sticking out about like a nine-month-old pregnant woman you know and uh <laughs> and he says he goes like this to my to his nose so i i, I wipe my nose and he goes no no punch me punch uh, yes, sir. So I proceed to set the pace, which was slow motion at, you know, uh, 22 frames a second. And I'm moving real slow. And he looks at the producers, never making eye contact with me. And he says, I could do something like. And then he looks at me and he says, don't fall. Yes, sir. And he proceeds to do the Steven Seagal arm bar twist back, you know, crank. Well, I'm standing vertical. He cranks my arm back by about 90 degrees. I hear what sounds like Jiffy Pop coming out of my shoulder. And I look at my shoulder. I look at the producers, director, and the stunt coordinator. I gesture, cut my shoulder. I'm done. Like, the whole day is over. By the time I look back at Mr. Seagal, he's turned his back and walked away. I call my girl. I go call my attorney. I go, I'm probably going to jail. 
And I go to the back of my trailer and start working a front kick so hard. I ended up breaking my right big toe and uh, get on the set and I proceed. They say, we're going to do something a little different. It's going to be more like Indiana Jones. You're going to come out and do your little kata. And then uh, Mr. Seagal is going to just pull out a gun and shoot you. And they shoot me and or he shoots me and I fall to the ground and they get up and they escort me out of there real quick. And I sit in my trailer. And once again, Sensei Tom Jordan comes to mind. And I had to remember in that moment, this isn't my issue. This is Seagal's issue. This isn't my challenge. This is Seagal's challenge. Seagal is a bit of a reflection of who I am. There's a part of me that is in Steven Seagal. This was an mm. opportunity for me, a lot of ways to beat myself. And I had to recognize that we are kind of all reflections of ourselves in various moments and times in our lives. And I took that as such a, a lesson in my life. Again, you said you, you have to be careful what you say. And it's so true. You've, you've, it's spilled over into my, my teaching as well. The idea that you don't realize what you say and what you do is that impactful. I could not tell you what you looked like before this interview. And as soon as Brian showed me a picture, it was like that face, those eyes. I know that's him. Oh my God, that's the guy. How did you find him so fast? You know, <laughs> it is uh, almost like an out of body experience to be in this, this moment right now and to be able to share how much you've influenced from 1978 until, you know, uh, this happened probably 10 years ago. So you're still impacting my life. You know, like that's OK. A, that's so, all right. Let me just say uh, this is very, very strange. Um, <laughs> so just so beautiful, because one of the things I've done since then is, um, you know, I got I got into the field of addictions and mental health counseling and I've nailed my life's mission down to the phrase deliver the message. And when you, all that you're saying is so inspiring to me because in that short period of time, before I even had my message down pat, but it was there and you picked it up in that short period of time and then ran with it. You took the ball and ran with it in such a beautiful way. And that's so inspiring to me because being in this field of helping people and working with people, one of the things I've learned, um, many are chosen, right? Few hear the call. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I can tell you one of the, the one of the things about working in this field of helping people is people don't follow through. Um, they know what to do. Right. It's like it's like they come into treatment and they have a goal. I want to lose all this weight like Steven Seagal. Right. I got to get this weight off me. And most of the people, I hate to say, who come into treatment don't lose the weight. They don't stick with it. And so when you hear something like you're telling me and from that little bit of contact we had that you listened, you picked that up. It says a lot about you, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, and it's so helpful for me to hear that because whenever I see a success story, of course, it just gives me the tingles. I'm just so happy to see that people are getting it. And don't get me wrong. Lots of people get it. It's just it's not the high percent that would like. And if you can get 10% of people to get it, there's 10% of the people that got it that wouldn't have if we hadn't have helped them. So uh, thank you for sharing all that with me. And just just the thought of under the movie theater, you know, remembering that is just fantastic. But I often say that um, I was the original Forrest Gump because <laughs> I used I used to run all over town 
And every time I'd have a cancellation, I'd shut the door and put the sign up, return in an hour, and I'd go for a run. I just ran all over the place. Wow. And I, if I'd go in, if I'd go into a store somewhere in Hanover or Pembroke or Marshfield, people would often say, the person working behind the counter would say, oh, you're that guy that's always running around town all over the place. <laughs> I just ran so much and I loved it. I was addicted to running and just the focus and the runner's high, uh, just, just um, the intensity of what we get into. And I'm hearing that from you. You're just an intense person in the most beautiful way possible. And it's great to hear that we're out there and um, you inspire other people, I'm sure. And in the same way, you don't know how many people could be telling you the yeah. same story that you're telling me. Yeah. That's cool. That's just so cool. Well, Eric, I, I just, first of all, thanks for agreeing to do this. I'm glad uh, you were able to hop on and the timing worked out and you, I got to connect to you guys. Uh, Are I you think kidding? Good, Are good, you good kidding? way to, good way to start the interview. I think. <laughs> Yeah. Unbelievable. Again, Tom, thank you so much. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but the Green Ranger who played Jason David Frank, who played the Green Ranger back in the day in 1993, had unfortunately passed away last year. He fell victim to mental health and expired himself. And uh, mm. so to hear what you're involved with, if there's anything at all that I can do as well. I would love to be part of your message and, and what you're doing and the work you're doing as well. So keep that in mind, Brian, please give him all my information down to my social security if necessary. <laughs> okay. uh, I mean, for real, this is, this is such a blessing. Talk about an amazing holiday gift. Uh, Tom, I, I cannot thank you enough. And I hope the listeners here really understand. Brian, you have some crazy detective skills. I don't know who you are, <laughs> what you are, man. <laughs> But AI's well, got nothing well, on you. <laughs> so the world is in a rough uh, place. We're in a, a tough place with global warming and everything and mental health issues and just all kinds of things. So I love what you're saying, and I'd love to stay connected with you. And my yeah. next book, my next book, the title I've got in my mind is Extreme Measures, How to Save Yourself and the World by Mastering the Seven Disciplines. Nice. And one of, one of the things I do with it is I've created a, a chart that you can fill out to list clauses that you can get behind it. I put global warming at the top and then poverty, homelessness, you know, any kind of cause. And we need to be grabbing onto these causes and working to make changes because there's so much suffering in the world. And so, yes, um, and, and so, you know, that's one of the things I want to get out there. And like I said, this is my, kind of like my third career is helping people get out of their own way and out of their own puny little lives and say, look, there's a bigger cause out there and we've got to all be behind this because there's so much suffering and so many problems that need to be dealt with. And most of us, a lot of us just don't get involved. And I get it. You know, we're caught up in our own lives and we just don't maybe think that we have a way to do it. And in that book, I want to show people that they can develop, they can grab onto a cause, start supporting it. And all of us can make a difference if we get behind ourselves and push. What an awesome mission. I love it. Nice. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I'd love it. Soon as we're done here, I will I will give uh, him all your info, Eric, and and hopefully you guys can awesome. continue to connect. And Brian, thank yeah. you. Tom, thank you. You guys enjoy your interview, and uh, I'm gonna get out of here. All right, happy holidays, sir. Thank you. Likewise. Take care. Bye, guys. Oh, nice so talking crazy. to you. Bye, bye. 
Well, that was fun. <laughs> I'll say. I thought that would Man. be a, I thought that'd be a nice surprise. <laughs> No, no, I'm feeling like I'm feeling like, oh man, I've got some good karma coming here. It was fantastic. Like I said, when when he talked about it, I'm like, I, I gotta find this guy. I have to. So I'm 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 glad. I'm glad I, I tried about four different Tom Jordans and, and you were the third one and you were the right one, so that's good. <laughs> wow, that's so, amazing. That's cool. Well, now to get yeah. to the the normal part of the interview, now that we have our wonderful intro. Uh, you, you, you talked a little, little bit about it and, you know, seeing that the sign and hanging out with your friends and, and, you know, smoking weed and stuff. But, uh, what, what I'd like to know is martial arts for you. I want to go back to the very beginning and kind of find out where it started. Where did that first interest, that first spark came from that kind of launched your martial arts journey? So I'll tell you, I was a juvenile delinquent Mm -hmm. and starting in elementary school, I didn't pay attention in school. I was constantly getting hit with the ruler kept after school, stand in the corner, staring out the window, playing with toys in my desk, um, just not interested in learning. Now, besides that, I had no interest in sports. I had no interest other than when I was young in elementary school, watching TV and reading comic books and a lot of time spent in my imagination. Some of it was due to, you know, my father early on was an alcoholic and you know, I have there's six of us siblings, and my parents were great in many ways, but they had some difficulties too. So okay. there was a lot of sadness and suffering going on. And so when I hit, I think, 13, a few of my friends and I snuck up behind the Burlington Country Club, where we lived in Burlington, Mass., and we decided, uh, I didn't really decide, my friend was good at this, I was not the type, but he was my friend, he was going to break into the country club and get some beer, steal some beer. So he, I I didn't want to break into anything. I was not into that kind of thing. So they left me up on the hill to be the lookout. And my job was to keep a lookout for any cars driving into the parking lot because the country club was closed. It was, it was late at night. It was getting dark out or it's dark out. And so, um, and if I saw (laughs) I'm not making this up. If I saw a car pull up or police car or any car into the parking lot, I was to hoot like an owl. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And if they heard if they heard the hooting, it shows we we were a bunch of criminal masterminds. <laughs> <laughs> So no cars came in and I sat up there and waited. And then I saw them come out and they had a big, they were carrying something big and it turned out to be a case of beer and they came up and we popped open that beer and I drank that first beer, guzzled that thing down my first time and got about halfway through the beer and I had to stop for a break. And I noticed something after I drank that first half of beer, I was transformed in that moment. I became Elvis Presley. I just was, I just was the envy of every girl and, you know, of every boy and every woman wanted me. That's how I felt from having that beer. And so that, from that moment, I became an alcoholic and my whole goal was to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, where, where's my next beer, my next joint, my next hit of acid as I, as I grew up and got older. And, um, you know, I saw Jimi Hendrix. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. The Doors, you know, uh, Bob Dylan. I was just into party, party, party. No sports, no school, no anything except where's the next party. And um, 
I was in a rough direction, going in a rough direction. And so I'm in high school and it's the senior year of high school and I'm in the cafeteria because I used to spend most of the, I'd go to all three lunches, skip my classes, go to all three lunches and I'd be in the cafeteria. And I remember a guy, we called him Itchy. That was his nickname. I walked up to Itchy and I said, this is it. There's like two weeks left of school. What are we going to do? Because this was out where we hung out. This is where the girls were. This is where our friends were. What are we going to do? And he said, good question. I don't know what we're going to do. And so I graduated. I was living with my parents. They're telling me, get it. you have to get a job. You need, what's going on? You need to do something with your life. So I went and got a job uh, on an assembly line. I lasted two hours and I walked off the job and went home. Oh, wow. You know, my, my mother said, what? What happened? What are you doing here? And I said, I quit. So she started, you know, going, God, Lord, what are we going to do with you? And they were saying that my whole life. So I was lost. I just had no clue, no plan, no skills. And then I was with, which I talked a little bit about, I was with my friend Steve, and we're parked out front of the karate school. Now, Kung Fu had come on TV. And I had actually in high school, in late, late in high school, I got involved with TM, remember Transcendental Meditation? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Maharishi. And I signed up for that, went in, got my mantra, and learned to meditate. Someone at the job that I worked at when I was in high school, I was on the work-study program, which means you get out of school early to go to work because you're not going to do anything at school. So at the job I worked, I was a stock boy. Someone there, a couple of the people there had done TM, and they were telling me about it. <laughs> and this is kind of funny. And I'd say, what What do you mean meditation? What's meditation? And they tried to describe it. You sit down, you close your eyes. You have this mantra, which is a sound that you repeat, and it expands your consciousness, to which I said, you mean like LSD? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And then, you know, I was asking, like, like, do you see colors? (laughs) What's it like? So so they told me, you know, not really, but it's a spiritual thing and it does expand your consciousness in a beautiful way. And it's just great for you. It's stress reduces stress. And there's a lot of good things about it. So. I said, yeah, I want to do it. So so I signed up and I went in and I got my mantra and I learned TM. So that was the beginning okay. where things were starting to change. And then the same people handed me a book on Zen Buddhism. And then I read Zen Buddhism. So I started to get interested in Eastern philosophy and religion. And then, then when I graduated from high school and I was lost with nothing, just no outlook at all, And then martial arts, first it was that Kung Fu came on TV. Mm -hmm. And me and my friend Steve would go to my mother's house and watch that. I think it was Thursday night, I can even remember. And that was the first thing I really fell in love with. And that was part of the Eastern philosophy. Remember Master Chow? And uh, he would be telling Kung Fu all these beautiful Taoist philosophy and everything. And so I was in love with Kung Fu. And then Bruce Lee came on the scene, that movie. I went and saw that movie, Plastered, drunk out of my mind, <laughs> watching that. But just, just it, have you you've seen Bruce Lee's movie, of course. Enter the Dragon? Oh, yeah. Yes, I forget. Right, this is yep. a martial arts podcast. Of course you did. <laughs> yep. So when I saw that, I just had never seen anything like that. Now, you know, Bruce Lee, he was just mm-hmm. unbelievable. And, and so I walked out of there with my head twirling and spinning. So... We ended up, you know, in front of the the martial arts studio that came to town. That was the original United Studios of Self-Defense. And 
we're looking at the sign and, and just in awe. And the next day we went down to the school and we went in, you know, we've got the long hair and the leather jackets and we go up to the door and Rudy Horn, who's a third degree black belt and a big, big man. I'm like, I weigh 140. I'm a small guy with a thin frame. So, but me and Steve are standing with our leather jackets out and he comes to the door and he says, can I help you gentlemen? And he looked a little disapproving of us <laughs> and I was nervous. And I said, foolishly, I said, yeah, we want to hear you spiel. And then he said, how about I show you my spiel? So Steve was kind of leaning against the wall with his arm against the wall. And I was in front of him and I ducked under his arm and headed out the door as fast as I could. And then he he followed me and we went back to the car and said, what happened? You know, and he said, Steve said, he, I think he thought you were being a wise guy. So the next day, Steve went back on his own, told him I was nervous. We really want to sign up for lessons. That's Tom was just he didn't mean to be wise at all. So we signed up and I fell in love, of course, with the martial arts. Now, what the what the martial arts did for me was I had never learned anything. I didn't do math. I could barely add. I try to do my multiplication tables once or twice and then drop it. So when I got there, one of the things they said was that the word that they used was discipline. Martial arts is about discipline. And now I'm thinking, wait a minute, discipline means you get hit with the ruler and you're told to stand in the corner and you get kept after school. What what do you mean discipline? So I learned about discipline and self-discipline for the first time. And as you know, I'm standing in a horse stance, practicing the front two knuckle punch, the back two knuckle punch, starting with those basic punches and kicks, the front ball kick, the side blade kick, the back kick, the crescent kick, and just learning those and then putting them together into techniques. And then the katas, you know, those beautiful katas. And that was all new to me. Learning something like that was new to me. And so I'm learning these things in order and seeing them progress and develop. And I'm just absolutely in love with learning and with discipline now. And it wasn't too long. It took me a while because I used to go, I used to get out in the Sunluck restaurant, our Chinese restaurant, after our classes and would drink, you know, and talk about how cool it was. And and Rudy Horn, that, that guy Rudy Horn would come with us oh, wow. after we got our black belts, you know, and he he's he was a crazy guy himself. So so somewhere I left United Studios and got my own, own school. And one of the big factors was I had a brown belt, a guy that was a brown belt that I became pretty friendly with and would work out together. And on Saturdays, I'd go down to the school and teach for half a day. And then I'd leave and go back up to Burlington and drink again. And he would do things like he'd leave. He'd left a gram of hash one time on my desk. And I never told him that I smoked it because I, I was keeping that a secret for my my students, my karate students. So I was presenting myself as Kung Fu, you know, quite chain cane. But on the weekends, I was still drinking. But I was, you know, I wasn't going to show that to my karate students. Right. I was playing the disciplined monk. And so on Saturdays, we'd be there at the end of the day, just the two of us. And when we'd leave, one day we left and we got in our cars. And he rolls down his window, holds out a joint, holds it up for me to see. And takes like a phony puff, like as if to say, you want to smoke a joint, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I reached down to my seat and pulled up a banana, peeled the banana and held it out the window. 
to him and took a bite. <laughs> so we both laughed and I drove away. So he kind of knew that I smoked, but I wasn't going to let on because if he knew, then the other students would know. And I didn't want that. But I left that day thinking, you know, I'm kind of a fraud. I'm, I'm presenting myself one way. And by this time I had been, you know, reading about meditation and Buddhism and, and I didn't want to be having this double life. So it wasn't long after that, that I woke up one day with a, the worst hangover of my life, which I was prone to. And I just woke up and said, that's it, I'm done. And I attribute my sobriety to my martial arts training and my Eastern philosophy and meditation practice. Because, wow. you know, you can't meditate when you're hungover. And um, I didn't like going into the school on Saturday mornings because I drink Fridays with a hangover. And that did it. So the martial arts did that for me. And that was, you know, just a beautiful thing, as you know. The martial arts is just spectacular. And I guess for other people, it's sports and in school and different things. But it was the martial arts that I would say saved my life. Wow. And thinking back a little, what, what made you want to teach? What made you want to get into that part of it? I mean, someone who literally pretty much didn't, did not like school and hated school, what, what made you want to teach martial arts? As soon as I started taking lessons, by the time I was a yellow belt and an orange belt, as I was moving up, I was in love with learning and discipline and everything about the martial arts, the mental aspect of it. And so once me and my friend Steve, who we, we were partners, you know, we took our lessons together. Once we got up to brown belt, it was probably brown belt. It might have been when we got our black belts, but I think it was, no, it was before that. It was our brown belts. Even the, um, I think when I had my green belt, they asked me if I wanted to help with the, the children's group on Saturdays. So I would go in and help. And, you know, I don't know if you do this in your style, but we would we would bow. We'd get in front of the group and everyone would get in the, in the front position with your hands together. Right. And you'd bow mm -hmm. and then would kneel and meditate. So we just kneel down, put our heads down and then get up and then do the class. And I'd go in there on Saturdays hungover. And when I'd go kneel down to meditate, I'd get dizzy, oh, wow. <laughs> you know from the drinking. And so that was it at the beginning, even knowing this just doesn't fit. These two things don't fit. But at some point, my partner, Steve said to me, he brought it up and he said, did you ever think about teaching martial arts? And I said, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to teach. And the guy who was teaching us, who had his black belt, Rich Kelly, he was one of the guys that we knew. We had a sort of a gang in Burlington. We called HANA, H-A-N-N-A. And um, he was kind of like a Hana himself, which meant, you know, crazy. He'd drink on the weekends and all that. And so we thought we could do it. You know, a lot of the people who were taking the martial arts in that school in Burlington were people we knew. Um, and some of them were, you know, hardcore drinkers and, and um, fighters and, and just crazy people, you know, yeah. going out to clubs and bars and all that stuff. So I ended up being the assistant instructor in Burlington. I got the job as an assistant instructor. And then Steve, I think they sent Steve out and gave him a school. And then, because um, he was a big, strong guy. And then after a while, they moved me. I think the first school was out in Canton, Mass. And I had a, a short gig out there in Canton. And then they sent me, I ended up down in the Hanover area. Okay. Um, and then Pembroke, Penfield, we called it, because it was right on the line of Marshfield and Pembroke. And I was under the movie theater. That, that, And then at some point, 
one of my clients who was a brown belt who I knew well said, did you ever think of opening up your own school? Because it was a franchise, Fred Valari franchise. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, um, well, I haven't really given it any thought. And he said, and this guy was a businessman and he had money and stuff. So he said, what if we go in partners and I'll do all the book work and get, you know, rent the place and all that. And you can be the chief instructor. So I ended up doing that. And, um, you know, then then it was just, um, you know, I was running and working out. I mean, I worked out so long and so hard. I can't imagine today. I'm thinking, did I really do that? But I get up in the morning and I just worked out all day long. I would hit that bag and kick that bag. And I remember coming flying into that bag with a flying side thrust kick one time and then just snapping it right from the chain, breaking it right off the chain. That's cool. And um, yeah, I was just, you know, worked out constantly and just thought that's what you did, you know. And I was down there in the mornings by myself and I worked out. Client came in and um, I'd stop and teach the lesson to the client and then I'd get back to working out. And, um, yeah, so so it transformed me like, you know, you read about yeah. a, a total transformation. So that's basically my martial arts story. Wow. And did you ever get into the competition side of martial arts? I never did. I went to a couple of tournaments mm-hmm. and I think, let's see, I sparred in a couple of tournaments. I did competitions in a couple, but it just, and that was only because it was the United Studios tournaments and I was part of that organization so so i did it but i just never thought of uh thought of it i don't know why okay and which style of kempo was this well so you know you're familiar with fred valari yeah yeah so he he used to be called united studios Mm self-defense and so he initially called it chinese kempo and you know nick serio yep oh yeah yeah so so i you know fred talked about him sometimes and because he taught Kempo too. And when I eventually saw something of his, it was nothing like what we did. It was not the same style at all. Uh, but Fred kind of told us it was. So he called it Chinese Kempo. And then when he changed it to Valari Studios of Self-Defense, he started calling it Shaolin Kempo. Okay. And, you know, he liked the name. That's why he called yeah. that. You know, he said whatever worked for him. And how long did you run your school for? Okay, let me see if I can tell you that. I did it from about 73 to 83. Okay, about 10 years. Yeah, about 10 years. And then then I had some kind of a, a problem with hypoglycemia and a sugar problem, and I had kind of a meltdown, and I couldn't go in and teach. And um, I ended up moving in with my sister, who now I had stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. a long time ago but i never dealt with my drinking in any way never thought about it you know just stopped drinking cold and just kept working out and when i moved in with my sister she said you know you might you might think about going to some aa meetings and some acoa meetings adult child of alcoholic meetings because you know dad was a drunk and she had done this and thought it would be helpful to me so i did go to a few of those like al-anon meetings and and I'm in the Al-Anon meetings, uh, adult children with alcoholics meetings. And I say, I'm listening to people's stories. And I'm, and I thought I was an alcoholic. Of course, I kind of knew that, but we didn't call it that back then. And right. no one really knew about AA when I was young and drinking. Um, there was one person we knew, um, in Burlington that went, but we didn't know anything about it. And, um, so I started going to AA meetings and those meetings were helpful to me to think back about my past. 
And um, that was it for the school. I never went back to the school. I called my partner and said, look, I'm just not in any shape to come back. You know, you might want to try to find someone else to work with or close it or whatever, but I can't come back. So I didn't come back. And one day I came back to my sister's house from an AA meeting and she was at the table with her beautiful husband, Phil, just the nicest guy in the world, generous. And they say, we think you should go to college. And so I said, wait a minute, you know, I just closed my school. I don't have a pot to piss in. I can't afford to go to college. And Phil said, I'm going to pay for it. Wow. And he, isn't that amazing? Because my sister, my sister, just a couple of months earlier, had, they had been walking up to Framingham State College and um, they walked inside and she just spontaneously with Phil signed her up. So she had been going to college for a couple of months. And then she said, she just loved it and said, we want you to go. We think you should go. And they they sent me to college. Now, they were going to pay for the whole thing. And I'm saying, I can't I can't accept that. Mm-hmm. I'm already living in your house and you've already given me so much. I just can't I can't accept it. So I, I brought it up in an AA meeting and someone walked up to me after the meeting, handed me a card for mass rehab and said, these folks will help pay for it. So that might help. So you won't have to get all the money from him. And then I went I went for the first couple of semesters and I just dove in like you wouldn't believe. I, got, I literally had to get flashcards because I had to take a math course, like an algebra course. And I didn't know arithmetic, mm-hmm. never mind math. But I got flashcards. I got a tutor and I just went to town studying and just dove into it. And um, just like you did with martial arts. It's a, yeah, the same yeah. thing. Everything wow. I learned from the martial arts, I, I applied to that. And so so one day, um, so my first couple of semesters, I think it was my, after my second semesters, I'm diving in and doing this. And I was in, you know, a re, an adult returning. I was in my 30s. So my professors liked me because I was in the front row going to their office hours so into what they were doing. Of course, they loved it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I never found out who did this. But one day I was, I got called down to uh, one of the administrators office. They handed me a thing and they said, you know, next week, there's going to be a thing going on in the auditorium. You're invited here. So I didn't know what it was. So I went and I'm sitting in the auditorium and people are getting called up and they're giving them things. And they called me up and I had no idea this was going to happen. And I go up and they handed me a sheet that said, you're awarded a Pell Grant. And the Pell Grant paid for my entire education. Wow. And I, and I, is that cool? And I think of kids today, they have all these loans, college loans (laughs) and everything. And another blessing for me where I'd never paid a penny for my college education. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've had. You know, it was similar to the martial arts mm-hmm. studio opening up. I feel blessed sometimes. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That right when I needed it, that opened up and changed my whole life. Where I would have been a janitor or something if mm-hmm. I didn't. The martial arts didn't open up, and then then I get this opportunity to go to college, and and I'm you know kicking ass in college because I'm loving it, and it's just unbelievable that I got to do that and to go to college, and then I get I'm at an AA meeting one day. And again, someone, you know, I'm talking about, you know, I'm going to be graduated from college and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have this degree in psychology. Someone walked up to me and said, here's my card. I work at Spectrum Health Systems and uh, come on down and, and apply for a job. And I just did it. I went down. I applied for the job. I got the job and I fell in love with that career. And I loved Spectrum. They had a fabulous curriculum. 
it's as if I set it up myself, a cognitive behavioral mm -hmm. curriculum, which I was in love with. And um, uh, they taught classes every day. So I, I, I taught two groups every day, two actual psychoeducational classes that I taught. And I had a caseload of clients. It was just it was like I was in heaven, but that's, wow. you know, been my good fortune. And now that I'm divorced and I'm, you know, decide I have to take all the information that I've gathered over all these years teaching, working in the substance abuse treatment field, because I, I kept a big three ring binder mm -hmm. and I kept developing these handouts and putting together material for my clients. So they would come to my door knock on the door and they'd say they knew that that's what I was about. So they'd come to my door and say, do you have anything for depression? Do you have anything for anxiety? So I'd have these handouts that I developed over the years. And so that's what I wanted to turn into a book. So okay. it doesn't go to waste. And one of my goals is I want to get a website up and I want to put all those handouts out that people used to come to my office and get, and people can just go to my website and download those handouts for whatever problems they're dealing with. That's a great idea. That's yeah. cool. So at any time in, in the 30 years since you closed your school, did you ever go back to the martial arts even for your, just to train, not to teach? No. When I was living with my sister at the beginning, for a very short period, I was out in her backyard doing my forms a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And then I just, it was over. It was like its time mm -hmm. had come. And, okay. and I, you know, and I just said it served a purpose and it taught me everything I needed to learn. And it was a beautiful 10 years that I loved. And um, you know what happened is here's what happened. I said, I'm into I like to progress and evolve in things and keep going at it and see how far you can take something. And what I realized with the martial arts, unlike psychology, is I'm never going to kick any faster, any higher. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's a physical thing. Right. And, and you're like Michael Jordan. You know, he just has to retire from basketball. He's getting older and the young people, you know, take over. And so I just felt like that. Like mm -hmm. I'd go and work out and I was working out so much that I just I said, it's done. That's it. And when I when I went to school and I started studying, which this was all new to me, and I'm studying in college, and I've got these great textbooks and journals that I'm, you know, required to read and study. And I said, there's no end to psychology. Psychology just keeps evolving, sort of like technology. Like people see an iPhone now. And, you know, when you're my age, I remember typewriters. Yeah, me right? too. Yep. Yeah. So not just, you know, we have, uh, we work not on laptops, which has cut and paste and does everything, mm -hmm. right? It's amazing what it does. We were typing on typewriters. And so what it is with, when I went to college, what I realized is that's how psychology is. It just keeps advancing. There's people in universities all over the world doing experiments, performing experiments, publishing them in journals. Other people across the country read the journal article. They redo the experiment to see if it works out and they change it a little bit. And that's how it keeps progressing. Like technology, right? You take someone's technology and you improve it. You make it a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, we need an iPhone that can do this. So the other company grabs it and improves it and makes it that way. And that's how it is. So when I got into college, I realized not only could I never run out of information to learn about psychology, but I'll never even be able to keep up with it. So it's a little bit hard to get bored or used up when you're studying something like psychology. That's what I learned. Okay. And so I, I fell in love with that idea of having an endless array of possibilities 
in growth. I could keep evolving and growing. And so, yeah, if you can see my house, I've got it. I'm just packed up with books. You know, I read two to three books a week. Nice. And yeah, and I just, so I just love learning. And the books that I read, people don't know this. They just keep evolving. So I'm an unapologetic self-help junkie. And the books are just getting better and better. And you can't, you know, there's nothing lacking. Yeah. Whatever you want, any kind of book you want about develops personal development of any kind is out there. So if you're into that, if you're into learning and growing and evolving, there's never been a better time in history that is than, true. than now. But speaking of that, you know, talk a little bit about your books. Talk a little bit about it, but kind of, you know, what, what can people expect and where can they find them and when they come out and stuff? Okay, so I have been working on my first book, and it's not the one I intended to write, but my sister actually talked me into and said, I think you should write the addiction book first because you are qualified, you know, as a licensed addictions counselor. So it might be the one you want to write first. And so I kind of went with that and I started writing that book. So I'll tell you this, I had no idea what I was taking on. It just turns out to be an amazing amount of work because once you get the book written, marketing the book and getting it out there so people will see it is incredible, the amount of work it takes because so many books are being published now. If you want to get your book so it goes anywhere, you've got to know what you're doing. So I hired a company called Book Launchers. They do a lot of work for you. So. So what I've got now is I wrote a first draft. I hired them. So they have a writing coach and I meet with the writing coach once a week and we talk about my book and he has a copy of it and he makes suggestions and all that. And so then I finish the first draft and I send the draft off to book launchers and they send it to first a content editor who looks at the big picture mm-hmm. and makes some suggestions, you know, move, you might want to move these chapters around a little or do this and that. So finish that. And then the first, the next thing is a copy editor who looks at the wording and the sentence structure and the paragraphs and makes it, they know how to write. They know how to, you know, I'm not a really a writer. I've got the information, but I'm not a professional writer. So they do that. They turn it that way. So, they worked on it and sent back the first copy at it to me and then said, you can go through and you can click accept or reject on these lines that we crossed out a whole paragraph or something. And you don't have to, it's your book. If you want to reject our suggestions, you can. And I went through and I was horrified at how many changes they made <laughs> and how much they deleted. And I was not happy. And then I just kept pushing through it. And then I started realizing, oh no, she's making it better. I get it. She's not really changing the content, but she's changing the form of the book and the style of the writing. And she knows what she's doing. So I fell in love with that. So I finished that and sent it back and they're going to do one more copy edit, send it back to me. And then I send it back again and they proofread it. And once they do that, once they proofread it, they're going to come up with a cover design. They're going to have someone format the inside of the book. They're going to create the first copy of the book. They're going to mail it to me and I'm going to open it up and cry because <laughs> I'm a book lover <laughs> yeah. and to think I have my own book, you know? Yep. So then I get to look through it one last time and make sure I like the way it's set up and all that. And then we're going to start printing out books. Wow. And what they do is they know how to, for instance, get you on to, um, into bookstores, yep. for instance, right? They get you on Amazon and they get you on the right place in Amazon for the book that I'm selling. 
right? And they do things like this. They tell you, you need a book army. So you've got to talk to everyone you know, right? Including you. So I'll tell you, Mm -hmm. everyone you know, and say, when the book's out on Amazon, you let them know and you ask them to go to Amazon, buy a copy of the book off of Amazon and read it. And if you like it, put up a review for me. Right. Because the more reviews you get up and the more books that are sold, then the more people will see it and the more it'll get out there. So it helps get it out to the world. So it won't just die on the shelf, which, okay. you know, a lot of books do. Yeah. And then you said you're also starting on a second book, too? Yeah. So the second book is the one I was going to write. And then my sister convinced me that I should do the addiction book first. But the second book is called um, Extreme Measures, How to Save Yourself in the World by Mastering the Seven Disciplines. Now, the seven disciplines, how I've categorized all the information that I've gathered while I was working in the field of mental health and addictions counseling. And I kept all this information in a three-ring binder. It's a big, fat thing, hundreds of pages. It's huge. And I organized that. I came up with these seven disciplines and said, what are the things that all successful people do? And it took me a little while to form this, and I shifted it around and changed it and added things. But so the seven disciplines are, This is my idea of what all successful people do from studying them and reading all these books over the years is they set goals, they formulate plans, they rehearse success, they take action, they reframe adversity, and they practice meditation. So I have a section, and those will be the seven chapters probably of the book. And um, I just, everything I've learned about all those categories are in the handouts that I have, and I'm just going to turn that into the book. Nice. Are you hoping to have both of them out in 2024 then? Oh, no. No? No, no. It's it's a long process. Okay. So I'm hoping to have the first book out okay. in that time. And then we'll see if I write the second book. Ah, okay. Because part of my, my goal is now is to, to do Project Curriculum, Manuscript, and Academy. Project Academy is I want to, that's the website, maybe mm-hmm. a YouTube channel, right? A podcast. Not a podcast. A um a blog. Okay. And so I probably will be working on that first and get that up and running. And then that could be it. That might keep me busy. So if if I'm doing a blog and I'm doing a YouTube channel and um, I got a website that I'm working on, I may end up not writing the second book. Okay. And we'll see. That makes sense. So talk a little bit about the martial arts for the mind that you mentioned. Yeah, so that that happened a ways back. So if you saw my LinkedIn page, at the top of the page, it says Reframe Revolution. And a while back, I started an LLC company called Reframe Revolution. And then the, the little tagline was Martial Arts for the Mind. Okay. You know, and that was something, I don't remember how it came to me, but it's just, it's what the seven disciplines are. They're martial arts for the mind. And we're constantly being attacked by um, all sorts of things, our own chattering brain, the negative thinking we have, um, the addictive urges we get, all those things are out to get us. And they want us dead. They do not want to see us succeed. So there's this force, uh, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, he calls it resistance with a capital R. And he says, whenever you decide on doing something important, whether it's writing a book or starting a business, resistance rears its ugly head and tries to stop you, doesn't want you to succeed. So it's this force inside you that says things like, who the hell do I think I am to write a book? And those voices 
are what you need martial arts for the mind to defend yourself again. Okay. You know, so one of the things, you know, I teach the reframing and I've come up with the 10 step reframe, which is a journaling technique where you identify that when you're feeling off, you write down in, in your notebook, you write feeling, right? F L G feeling. And so you're, the feeling, it would be like depressed, anxious, sad, lonely, envious. And then you write trigger under the next line under it. You write what the trigger was. Uh, someone called me a name. I lost my job. I looked in the mirror and realized I was 70 years old. How can that be? <laughs> and then, then what comes after that is the enemies are our success and happiness. And those enemies are those self-defeating thoughts, that chatter in the brain. And we have a brain that evolved for two reasons only. Our brain only cares about two things, keeping us alive and spreading our genes. And so the world we evolved in our ancestors involved in was a dangerous world, not like the one we live in now. And so our brain evolved to look for trouble, to scan the environment for trouble. So once you've got your food and we all have our food needs met, right? right. We're not going to run out of food. We don't have to hunt and gather anymore. <laughs> we don't need each other to hunt and gather. If you dump me as a friend, I still can drive down to Whole Foods and, and fill up my refrigerator. But the brain doesn't know that. So the brain keeps looking for trouble. And once it's set and we realize I've got an apartment, I've got a nice place to live, I'm all set, it starts looking for trouble in the social environment. So if we're having this discussion and you come back with a tone of a voice or a look on your face that looks a little disapproving, the brain, you don't think this consciously, but the brain sees it as a threat to its survival. And you get a hit of the chemicals, These, you know how we have the different chemicals that squirt through our brain like dopamine so dopamine is the go get it chemical when it sees the water hole off in the distance when you're in this desert it energizes you to chase after that and then when you catch it and you get the the prize you know the blueberry bush you get a squirt of serotonin that makes you feel happy but those things then fade away quick because you have to keep looking and keep searching to, to stay alive and so one of the things you want to learn to do is realize that most of the time, the danger that you're hearing, the fire alarm in your head goes off, there's no fire, there's no problem. So once you learn about evolutionary psychology, which teaches about how the brain evolved and how those chemicals keep jerking us around, you can gain better control over those chemicals. So you're not feeling upset and you're not sure why, and you're not having all these uncomfortable feelings going off for really no good reason. Okay. And so martial arts for the mind is those seven disciplines that teach you how to defend yourself against, you know, a pretty scary world that we live in. That's really cool. All right. So I'm curious now, you got involved in martial arts, you know, in the, in the seventies and stuff. And you, it's obviously still part of your life, even though you don't constantly train and stuff. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on like modern day martial arts and, and something like MMA and the UFC? Is that something you're a fan of? Do you ever watch that? Yeah. So I find it very interesting. Mixed martial arts. Uh, I thought of calling it mixed martial arts for the, for the mind. Because when I did martial arts back in the day, I learned the systematic training of Kempo, which is a guy stands in a half moon stance. He half moons in and throws a punch straight and stands there with his arm hanging out. And then you do all these techniques on him, mm-hmm. sweep him on the floor. Then he gets up and you do the next one. It's not realistic. People don't fight that way in the street. 
They don't stand there and let you beat them up. And it's messy. Real fighting is messy. For instance, you know, you're not going to hardly ever do a flying spin around back kick on the street. You're going to kick someone in the groin. You're going to stomp on their knee or their foot and elbow them in the face. It's going to be quick and dirty and hard and simple. There's not a lot of room for like the Bruce Lee movies. You know, right. they're choreographed and he's beating the crap out of 20 guys swinging around, flying around and spinning and all that. You know, so uh, that kind of thing isn't going to happen much on the street. So I see the mixed martial arts as the real deal. And you, you've watched it, I assume. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, it's a messy, ugly <laughs> mess, the whole thing in the cage you know and they're pounding each other on the ground and it's it's a nasty violent thing yeah uh, but if i were to take up the martial arts again and i thought about it actually now that this comes up but i ended up with neuropathy and i've got really bad nerve damage to my oh, feet and sorry. my hands and so i i couldn't do it if i wanted to mm-hmm. but when that came out i said I'd like to do that. In fact, this is, there's a school somewhere close to me out here that they say non-gi lessons. And so you can go in and just to learn not to compete mm-hmm. like they do, but just to learn what's the real basic self-defense techniques I need to know to defend myself on the street. Okay. So I, I, th- I think had I not gotten the neuropathy, I would have done that. I would have gone and, and taken those lessons. Okay. In all your years, whether it's martial arts or through your regular career, is there one philosophy you've learned that rises to the top of your list? One philosophy. Mm -hmm. Well, I would almost call myself a Buddhist. And Buddhism is, it can be an ugly philosophy because if you know anything about Buddhism, the first noble truth is the noble truth of suffering and that life is laced with suffering. And so suffering is then caused by attachment right? We cling to things that are impermanent. Buddhism talks a lot about the impermanence of things. So it's like when I hit 70, really it happened when I hit 60, I was taken by shock. I was surprised. I never saw it coming because I was just focused on what I was doing. And I was a young person. And then there was those old people over there, like my mother. She was an old person. I was a young person. Mm -hmm. And so Everything changes, everything arises, it changes, and it passes away. And we don't think a lot about that. And everyone we love and all that is dear to us are impermanent. We cannot avoid being separated from them all. That's one of the things that the Buddhists chant every morning. And opening up to that and becoming aware of it and then practicing acceptance of that is a philosophy that prevents you from getting caught off guard because we're all going to be on our deathbed someday. So learning to to understand suffering, right? To know the cause of suffering and to let go of the cause of suffering, which is attachment, clinging to things that can't last, right? Leads to the end of suffering. And then there's the Noble Eightfold Path, the steps of the Noble Eightfold Path, the, the long-term practice that helps you do that. So that's one of my favorites. My second favorite philosophy is Stoicism. If you have time to get a book, the only book you'll ever need is called um, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness. Okay. Donald Robertson. Fabulous book on Stoicism. And if you read this book, I keep it. It's like a daily book. I read it every day and go through it because it's just inspiring to me. So I would say the two basic philosophies come from Stoicism, from Stoicism and Buddhism, and also 
you know, not exactly CBT, but REBT, Albert Ellis, the real founder of the cognitive behavioral therapies was Albert Ellis. And his hardcore approach to mental health is something I'm in love with. So he's another one early on that helped save my life okay. uh, when, I, when I found out about him. I'll have to look that up. That's cool. I definitely want to look up that book by, by Donna Robertson. All right. I have a few fun questions to wrap it up. This one would be interesting because you, you've, you, you've been out of martial arts for a while, but I'm hoping maybe you, you still, maybe you, who were maybe three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Okay. That's a rough one. Well, so number one would be Bruce Lee. Nice. I love Bruce and mm-hmm. he's, you know, just, yeah, in a class by himself. Yeah. The second person on my list would be Ed Hosmer. And Ed Hosmer was a friend of mine who took martial arts the same time I did mm-hmm. at the same school. And he he took off like a shooting star and just left the rest of us in the dust. And he worked out like a madman. As much as I worked out, I could never keep up with him. And, mm-hmm. and Steve, my partner, would go down to his school in Fairhaven to work out with him every once in a while. And we'd all start working out, doing kicks and punches. And then eventually me and Steve would end up sitting off to the side, exhausted, and he'd just keep going and going and going. You talk about the energizer buddy. Nice. So he was it. Now, I'm sure there's some famous martial artist that's not coming to my mind. I'm trying to think of some movies I saw that I love. Oh, of course, Jackie Chan. Nice. You know, with his humor. And there was this great scene in one of his movies where, you know, a bunch of guys chased him and he's running to get away. (laughs) And he he climbs out a window and gets on the ledge of a building. And then a guy comes out and looks out the window and sees him standing on the ledge. And Jackie Chan uses his hand like to say, come on out, come on out. (laughs) And And I just remember my wife saying, yelling out in the theater oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you know because he would be out on the ledge you know enticing the person come on out i'll I'll fight you on the ledge of the building so yeah bruce lee jackie chan and ed hosmer nice and i've actually heard of it you're probably the at least the second if not third guest that has talked about ed hosmer so that's kind of cool stop it yeah yeah I, 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 i gotta oh great I'm trying to remember who who mentioned it, but I know I, for sure at least one of my guests, but I, I'm thinking maybe at least two other ones have mentioned his name. Oh, I can't wait to tell him about you yeah. and your podcast and about that. That's that's exciting. I could be wrong, but I think Joe Rebello, Kenpo Joe, he might have actually mentioned him on my show. Okay. I, I'll have to go back and listen to that episode. But I, like I said, I know, yeah. his, I know his name has come up before. Okay. So Joe Rebello? Yeah. That might be the one. Okay, I'll have to check that out. If you yeah. if you find out later, you can let me know. That'd be great. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. Because I might know the person who mentioned them. Yeah. All right, so how about a favorite martial arts book? Now, you said you read a lot of books. Oh, it's been a long time. A yeah. famous martial arts book. You know, this is interesting that you asked this question. Mm-hmm. Because I've been trying to read less and meditate more. Read fewer meditation books and, and actually meditate more. And one of the things I came up with is I said, it's a distraction for me. It's easier to read a meditation book than it is to meditate. I'm thinking I waste a lot of time reading meditation books when meditation is something you practice, not something you read about. And when I that came to my mind, one of the things I thought was, I never read a single book on martial arts. I didn't learn from a book. I learned from an instructor. And then I practiced, practiced, practiced. 
and I'm not sure that I ever read a martial arts book. Wow. Can you name a couple to remind me? I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many, there's thousands, but I mean, like some of the popular ones are like Bruce Lee's Tao of Jeet Kune Do. Yeah, um, I had that. I didn't read much of it. Musashi Book of Five Rings. A lot of people mentioned that one. Yeah, um, yeah. Art of War didn't read it, no. is mentioned a lot. Yeah, didn't um, read that. A lot of people mentioned like biographies and stuff too. Biographies of certain martial artists, and I mean, there's quite a wide range that I get answered. Right. Well, so this is interesting that you bring this up because I'm pulling this book up now as we speak. That I I did go out and saw this and bought it, and it says the Bruce Lee Code: How the Dragon Mastered Business, Confidence, and Success. So I found that book and I read up to page like page 17 out of 195 and stopped reading. Okay. Now I'm trying to see why it turned out it wasn't just a great book. I guess. Okay. I didn't like it. Yeah. So no, I guess I haven't read a lot of martial arts. No, no worries. Oh, th- this one you might not have an answer for either. A lot of my guests don't. But do you have a favorite okay. martial arts video game? Did you ever get into video games like in the 80s or 90s? I never played a video game. Okay. Once. No worries. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about a favorite martial arts TV show? I know you mentioned Kung Fu. Is is that it or is there other ones you ever oh. watched? Oh, absolutely. Kung Fu TV. Okay. Now, I don't have a TV and I don't watch TV. Oh, wow. And it's been a long time since I've watched TV. Okay. So, um, but still, I loved the Kung Fu show. And of course, when I go back and look at it and I see how bad the Kung Fu is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that they can't, they rejected Bruce Lee for the role. Yeah. He was Chinese. It's just insane. And I know you don't have a TV, but if you ever get a chance, there's a current yes. series that has three seasons. Just got picked up by Netflix now. It was on a, another streaming channel, but it's called uh, The Warrior. And it's actually okay. Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon, is a producer. And they created the show based on his original notes for the sh- series Kung Fu. It's it's the show Bruce Lee wanted Kung Fu to be. Right. And cool. it's a phenomenal show if you ever get the chance to watch it. I think you would. If you like Kung Fu, I think you would really enjoy it a yeah. lot. No, I get, guarantee I'd like it a lot. And one of the things I could do is possibly watch it with a friend. Yeah, there you go. You know, like I have a friend who has probably has Netflix. So I could check it out with him and ask him. He'd love to watch it with me. Well, if, if you check it out, you got to you gotta let me know what your thoughts, because I'd be curious to, right. to know what you thought about it. All right. How about a favorite martial arts movie? Well, of course, we said Enter the Dragon, right? Yep. And Jackie Chan, yeah. you know, some of his movies. Those those are the two that I'm thinking of. Oh, 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 no. Crouching Tiger, Hidden <sighs> Dragon. There we go. All right, that, that one's actually picked. A, that one and Enter the Dragon have been picked a lot recently. Those two, are, um, I'd have to say equal. Okay. That one was just fantastic. I couldn't yes. believe how what a great job they did. Okay, cool. I'm glad you brought it up because I'm going to get it and see it again. Oh, there you go. I can get it on disc. I'd buy that. I'd love to have that. Well, you had mentioned you you got to go to Enter the Dragon in the theaters. I was born in 1974, so I was born after it came out, but they re-released it this past August for the 50th anniversary, and that was the first time I ever got to see it on the big screen. I actually got oh. to go to a, to a movie theater in my hometown here and watch Enter the Dragon on the big screen, which was kind of cool. Yeah, great. I mean, I didn't even hear it was re-released. I don't know about what other places, but here they only showed it one day, one showing. So, right. <laughs> so luckily I heard about it and got tickets. Yeah, it was fun. And how was that? How was that? that oh, was so, I mean, I've, I, I've probably seen it on DVD and VHS, you know, probably 30, 40, 50 times, if not more. But something about seeing it in the movie theater on that big screen, it was it was pretty special. Well, he's, he's just an example of a unique individual where everything came together. Yeah. The way he looked, the moves, the funny squeaks he did and all that, you know. 
his physique, his thin build, and then his speed and everything about him was just, just came together perfectly. Yeah. All right. Final question. And this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, just a favorite movie fight scene. Is there one fight scene that just jumps to your mind and stands out? Yeah. Okay. I wish I could answer this question, but I've seen a lot of fight scenes and I love them. Yeah. So one of them is Denzel Washington. What's the name of that movie he's in? The Equalizer. Uh, the Equalizer. <laughs> yep. Some of his, yep. those are just fantastic with the watch and the whole thing. And I just love those. And I, I'm not happy about the fact that I love them. They're so violent, yeah. um, but I love them. And so I'll just say this. I saw a scene and I don't know where I saw it or when it could have been on YouTube, could have been over my friend Mark's house. It was on the TV there, but I saw a fight scene and I don't know the name of the movie. And I've seen a lot of fight scenes, and it was just heads and tails above anything I've seen. Oh, wow. Better than Bruce Lee, better than Crouching Tiger, because it was the most realistic. And it made me think it just did away with all the other fight scenes, hmm. because they found a way to make it real and spectacular at the same time. Wow. And I wish I could find it, and I knew the name of it, because I would love to get that movie and watch the whole thing. But I have never seen anything before or after since uh, that fight scene, and I don't know the name of the movie. Darn. Okay. I'll have to maybe yeah. start doing some digging, see if I can figure it out. Well, before I let you go, Tom, anything that maybe I forgot to ask you or you just want to be sure we get out there really quick before, before we wrap it up? Okay. Everyone should be asking themselves this question. Is there a purpose to life? What is that purpose? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And how do I get busy fulfilling that purpose? I like that. That's a great way to wrap it up, I think. Yeah, that's what we need. We need a good purpose and we need to get our butts off the couch and start working our butts off. Well, Tom, I'm so glad this worked out. I'm so glad I reached out to you and, and uh, very glad that Eric was able to join us at the beginning for a little bit. And I just spent oh. so, so much fun hearing your story and hearing about this. And, and I can't wait for the listeners to hear this. Yeah, no, I loved it. Thanks so much. This was fantastic. I'm so glad I heard about you found me. It's so crazy. And that whole story <laughs> and listening to Eric on my head spinning, it was just fantastic. And just to realize, you know, I, I made an impact on someone way back then without, you know, we don't realize. And so, yeah, it's important that we we're true to ourselves so that we each have that chance to make an impact impossible. That is so cool. I had chills when he was talking about it. So it was very, very cool, but I truly appreciate your time and, and uh, I, I can't wait to get the episode done. Uh, thanks so much for finding me and having me on. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.